Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everybody. This is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. Welcome along to the second part of my chat with wicketkeeper extraordinaire Jack Russell. I'm sure you've already enjoyed the first half of this chat. If you haven't, then you've somehow got yourself into part two first. I'll stick this one on hold, go back and listen to part one. If you've listened to part one and you're thoroughly enjoying it, and why wouldn't you carry on listening? Because this is part two of my chat with Gloucestershire and England's wicketkeeper Jack Russell. Brilliant guest on this edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. So pin back those ears and listen to the second part of our chat. It's that badger style. If you could be in charge of world cricket for a day, I'm going to put you in, in the big office. Jack Russell's on the door. You've got all the power in the world in terms of world cricket. What would you change to make cricket better, to improve the sport? I would have a cricket facility in every single school. I would. Primary school, everything. I would, I would try and get cricket. When I, was, when I first grew up, cricket was one of the main subjects or main curriculum in the summer. It was cricket it was just, and athletics were the summer sport. So I was lucky enough. I had two mad school teachers that helped me a lot. We, you know, we practiced at lunchtime after school. And it was like the two guys who, who were our sports masters were just cricket mad. So that was so lucky for me. Um, and I feel like a lot of schools, they don't have that. I mean, some of the privileged schools have got amazing facilities, you know, Stowe School or... Um, uh, the Dulwich is one of the best I've seen. But a lot of the schools, their playing fields have been sold. They, they, they don't even have many green spaces anymore. And I would just make it compulsory that there would be enough money for each cricket school to have its own cricket coach in the summer and working with the uh, youngsters in the winter so they didn't need the support of counties and they didn't need the support of uh, cricketing authorities. You'd still have the link but they would be able to do it in an own and independent way because first of all, they had the teachers to do it. They had the teachers that have the time to do it and prepared to do it. You know, a lot of them don't want to do it or they can't do it or their health and safety doesn't allow it. 
And I'd just like, um, the, the actual surfaces are important, and I'd like just each school to have its own, if possible, its own space, cricket space and cricket field, that where they could, boys and girls could play cricket as much as they could in the summer and, uh, and learn a lot. I think that would be, that would have a massive impact, impact on the game. If money was no option, and um, facilities were no option, and teachers were no problem, and people had the time, um, I think that would be good for the game. I'd love to see that. I'm totally with you on that. I can remember I I grew up in Lincolnshire, which isn't a, a county that's known for its cricket particularly. But it's uh, the the school I went to. the The PE teacher gave up his weekends. Um, the geography teacher gave up his weekends. And yeah. then there was an old guy that used to come in and do the umpiring, and they used to take us yeah. all over the place. We played cricket all the time. They're some of the happiest memories of my life. But you know, yeah. these days you wouldn't get that. No, you wouldn't. And I used to play, and there was a master. The teachers used to play other. other other uh, schools around, you know, the masters, but well, the maths teacher would play, and they, like I said, the geography teacher, and the drama teacher. But I, I ended up, because I, I was reasonably good at school, and I ended up being, they used to draft me, and I used to play on an evening with the older guys, and I'm talking about when I was 11 or 12, you know, I was playing with the, playing with the mid, so I've always done throughout my career, which I think has been important, even when I went to play club cricket, I was always playing in the age groups above in the men's teams on a Sunday and the leagues on a Saturday. So I think that that's important. I just feel that's gone now for whatever reason, um, not necessarily the teacher's fault, but I just think if that could come back, and that that, that was, you know, that's price, isn't it? I mean, James, you did, the benefits of that were just like amazing. So I'd love to see that come back. Yeah, if you're listening, Mr. Kerridge and Mr. Squires back in the day at King Edward School, thank you very much. Yeah, mine's, mine with Mr. Fryer and Mr. And Rick Retter is just recently retired from school teaching last year, actually. Okay. Um, and his young lad is Jack Retter, the footballer who um, yes. uh, runs the uh, the uh, disabled team, football team. And um, so young Jack is a, a star. And um, and I, I saw he, he retired last year. He was 77. So I think he's about time he had to... Yeah, to stop. He doesn't look any different from when he was bowling at me like 40 <laughs> years ago, which was tremendous. So it's great, Rick. He's a top man. And uh, yeah, just talking about, I think, talking about Lincolnshire, now you, you mentioned it. I'm Sleaford, just Lincoln played Sleaford. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure we played at Sleaford uh, a long time ago. I did play against Lincolnshire once in the Nat West. You know, I, I, yeah, so I played up there. That's where that's where so, my um, that, that's where my dad's side of the family comes from, Sleaford. They, I I, um, I can remember going to a, a benefit game. Um, benefit games used to be amazing, and David Gower came one year, but Derek Rundle, who you mentioned before, came another year. Yeah, and the the, the um, houses are quite close to the, around the edges of the ground, the Sleaford cricket ground. And Derek Rundle, there were a couple of old women that were just having a cup of tea, looking over their back fence, and he, he went over and chucked them over his shoulder and took them out to make them feel at mid wicket. It was it was hilarious. Brilliant, yeah. No, I, 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 uh, when I did my. Uh, I did a book of all the grounds that I played at for Gloucestershire, and we played one game at Sleaford, um, and I know that I can still see that red brick wall at the back there, and I know those houses are quite close, so I know the ground well. It's, uh, it was good to be able to yeah, that's the only time I've played in that part. We're a lovely part of the world. Absolutely. If you were starting your career again today, Jack Russell, if you were 15 and you could write a letter to yourself or send yourself a text message, an email, whatever, to give yourself some advice on the world ahead of you, what would you tell yourself? I would probably say listen more, you know, listen to what people are telling you um, because you don't know it all. Because I think when you're a teenager, and I was a bullshit loud teenager, uh, you sort of think you know it all and you think you, you don't basically know nothing or you know very little. So I, I would say uh, listen to people a bit more and just remember you don't know it all. So that would be the biggest thing for me, I'd definitely. They say rock stars want to be sportsmen. Sportsmen want to be rock stars. Everybody wants to be famous doing something else other than they seem to be than the things they seem to be good at. If you could have been famous doing anything else, what would you have picked? 
What can I want to do? I'd probably... Uh, when, when you're I painting, probably, Jack, when, when you're painting, Jack, do you, do you have music on? Do you listen to, are there any favourite bands that you've got? Or, or how do you... Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not a big music man. I'm not a big rock star fan. I'm not into music. I don't know my music that well. I listen to various odd bits, but uh, it's not the thing for me. I, I think I would have probably been an astronaut, I'd like to have been an astronaut, landed on the moon. I think if I could have been the first person on the moon, that would have been uh, exceptional. So probably flying as an astronaut is the only thing I can... And some of these rock stars are up in the stars, aren't they? So so it's sort of that's as, as close as I could have been. I probably um, would have liked to have been Neil Armstrong's right hand man. That would have been that would have been enough for me. Do, do you get a spaceship then that's got Weetabix um, soaked for eight minutes and a tea bag hanging on the wall of the uh, the, the space shuttle? Oh, that's compulsory, and I would definitely like to go up anyway because I hope Mr. Branson can do it because I actually like to go up there and paint the picture. You know, I would like to be the first person. I could have done the colour note on the on the moon, couldn't I? To paint the picture as I was sat in the capsule, and it would have been great. And I'm fascinated by all that stuff anyway because those guys flew up there and basically what with tin cans really yeah. with a few switches. So to achieve what they did is. Um, I'm not sure whether I've been brave enough, actually, but to achieve what they did was something absolutely unbelievable. So in terms of getting up into the stars, that would be my way to do it. If you could meet anybody, living or dead, who would you like to meet? It's that old dinner party question. Uh, you can have one or you can have a few. I'd like to pick Rembrandt's brain. I think that would have been good, and I'd like to have met John Constable. But I think if I had to pick someone in particular that I think would have been you know, absolutely amazing, I'd like to have uh, met Churchill, and I'd like to have gone and met Churchill in his studio and gone painting the Churchill. I think that would have been uh, an amazing experience, and just chatting to him and actually painting his portrait as well, that would have been great because he had a great face for it. So and I've been in his studio at Chartwell, which is down in Kent, and they've kept his studio as it was, when he was alive. So I think Churchill, from a, from both points of it, they got the military side of it, the history. You know, I could chat to him about uh, uh, his military career. Obviously, we'd be chatting about the war, but in, in, on the other hand, we'd be chatting about painting, um, which is an endless subject. So I think I would have, in terms of all round, roundedness, and I could have been there probably for years just chatting to him about military history and art, I think Churchill, definitely. Steven Spielberg, he's on the phone, Jack. He's, he's got the script for Jack Russell, the movie. He wants to know who you think should play you in that movie. Who are you going to pick? Well, it's sort of interesting because I've got to sort of think of someone that actually, I'm thinking, well, they got, they've got to be out of key wicket as well because the build's got to be right. I mean, I'm a big Michael Caine fan, but I think Michael's a bit too tall, so he, he, wouldn't, he would struggle to keep wicket. And I've just started, because of the lockdown, I've just started to watch some of the films that I've never watched before. Um, with my wife, we sort of have like a, a cinema evening most nights now where we go back to watch uh, old films that uh, she's seen before but I've never seen and the things and I've just got into Al Pacino recently and I've started to watch some of his films from the early 70s and uh, I think he's the sort of character first of all he's the right build if you're watching in Serpico he's got the right moustache anyway he's got slightly long hair so the hat would fit nicely and uh, he'd be short enough and agile and thin enough to uh, wiry enough to actually do the job. So I probably I probably have to go in terms of looking right as well as probably as well as being a great actor. And I knew he would pull it off. Al Pacino, I think Al Pacino's the man. I'll tell you what. I wish I was Rob Brydon now and I could do an Al Pacino impression, but I can't. But <laughs> uh, yeah, he'd, he'd be fantastic. I'd love to watch. I'd love to watch Jack Russell the movie with Al Pacino being you. That's that's really whetted my appetite for that. I'd be worried of what came out in the movie. I mean, all the all the uh, secrets that would be nothing, you know. And I've given you a few now, but I suppose it'd have to be a tell-all movie, wouldn't it? 
Well, on that on that subject, my next question it's it's a kind of a fairly new one that only comes up with with certain guests. But I heard a, a rumor about you, an urban myth about you, and I'm, I'm going to tell you what that was, and I want your reaction to that to tell me if it was true or false. But I was told in a pub, and all of these tales are told in pubs, aren't they? But you had carpet fitters coming to your house, and you allegedly met them in a lay-by. You blindfolded them um, before driving them in a van in their van to your house with all their gear. They did all their job for the day. And then you drove them back to their to their lay-by and said goodbye to them. And that was why, because you didn't want them to actually know where you lived. Is that true or false or somewhere in between? I deny it all. I deny it all, even though it's true. <laughs> it's it true. It all started when um, a couple of lads that I knew wanted to... I needed some work doing at the house. And um, because they knew I was quite secretive about where I lived, they didn't want the pressure of actually knowing where I lived. So it was their idea to actually... Uh, blindfold them so they didn't actually physically know where I lived in case they got captured and were interrogated by the press and uh, (laughs) they could actually honestly say on a lie detector test that they didn't know where I lived so I have had people blindfolded who have come to the house that is that is a fact that is is a great tale and other people who have been guests um, have wanted the same thing and actually wanted to be able to say to people no I actually was blindfolded going to his house but I have actually had to blindfold him so People I've picked up somewhere and um, old friends and uh, people from way back that I hadn't seen for donkey's years. They, they, there's one or two of those out there as well. So I can't deny it, James. It is a, that is a fact. Yeah, it's a fact. Can you imagine if you'd been pulled over in that van, driving it along with a load of people in it blindfolded and the police stopped you? How would you explain that? They've got, they've got Jack Russell, the England wicketkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> it takes some getting out. I'd have been headline news the next day. Probably. I'd been arrested, wouldn't I? I'd have been in jail. There's no question about it. Uh, but no, it has happened. That is a fact. That is true. The Cricket Badger Podcast is brought to you in association with TVSportsBlog.com. Give them a follow on Twitter at TVSportsBlog. Excellent sporting content. It's well worth a look. And give them a follow on Twitter at TVSportsBlog. Next question: Wicket keepers, goalkeepers. Everybody kind of has them in that bracket of being eccentric, a little bit crazy to do it in the first place. You've certainly got an image of being quite eccentric, quite quirky. We talked about your hat. We talked, about, you know, I hinted a minute ago about your, your eating habits on, on tours and what have you. This question is usually to other guests on a scale to one to ten. How cool are you with ten being the Fonz? With you, how eccentric would you say you are on a scale of one to ten? With ten being madly eccentric and one being mildly eccentric. Well, I would, I, in my own head, I'm one, basically, because I don't think I'm eccentric, which is obviously a dangerous sign, um, because it's like the old colleague who doesn't actually know or doesn't believe he's, he's got a drink problem. But I, I have to admit that I understand where people are coming from. But everything I do is sort of, there's a logic to it, you know, anything like the hat, the Weetabix, uh, the blindfolding, the visitors, there's, um, there's a long list of things that to me have just seemed straightforward and... Uh, and logical, but I've got to accept, I do accept the fact, and I don't mind it, um, I, I don't mind it at all, I'm not offended by it, but people do call me eccentric, so probably on an eccentric scale, well if you're going to call me eccentric, you might as well give me a number 10 then, because if you're going to be eccentric, I might as well try and be the best at it, so 10, if people say I'm a number 10 eccentric, I, I wouldn't argue with that at all, and, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of arguing with them. Um, about the eccentricities, but uh, like I said, to me, they're all, they're all, there's all logic to it all, um, but maybe it's just that people don't understand or don't 
for the and the, I don't see the reason I'm doing something, but yeah, that's just the way it is. But I'm I'm quite uh, to me I'm a num- I'm a one eccentric, but to others I'm a ten, and I fully fully accept that. In many ways, though, looking at your career, you were a bit ahead of the game, weren't you? You were thinking about your, your diet. And you wanted to make sure that was okay. You were kind of regimented and very single-minded in terms of your approach to the game. That that came a lot later in terms of other people. Well, to be honest with you, everything was geared to playing well. Everything was geared. My whole life, and you can ask my wife and she'll tell you the same thing, because on my wedding night, I went to cricket practice. So she knew what she was letting herself in for. You know, I, I, everything in my life was geared to playing well. And when the bales were taken off at the end of the day's play and I'm walking off, I am now thinking, working about, right, how can I get ready for tomorrow's play? What, my, and what, what do I need to do to be the best prepared and to be the best, to give myself the best chance? And that all these things are, are just basically, that, that's the reason for everything, really. So, I don't, you know, it's sort of, it, it's, whether I was ahead of my time or not, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure, but I was always looking for things to do that sort of suited what I needed to do and, and make myself play well, because I didn't want to, I hated playing badly, so... You know, I used to hate driving home at night having missed a chance or got naught or something, or we'd lost. You know, they used to drive me nuts and used to eat away at me, and um, I didn't like it at all. I didn't like that. I used to like driving and thinking, well, I've done my job really good today, or, well, we've won a game, we've won it, it's brilliant. You know, it's, those are the special moments, and you make the sacrifices to uh, to achieve the glory. And I I, I was tweeting the um, England lads, uh, sorry, the Gloucestershire lads during the winter, about because they were just starting their pre-season training, which I don't miss the training. I don't miss any of that. But the reason for doing it is to make you play better. So, you know, there's no pain without... You want the glory, you've got to go through the pain. And um, I, I text them, I say, <laughs> you, know, don't worry, you know, the pain is because it's going to give you more runs, more wickets, more catches, more runouts, more wins, more glory. So that's that was the reason for all the sacrifices. And, uh, you know, whether I was ahead of my time or not, uh, that's... I'm kind of, it's kind of you to say that, but I was just doing what I thought was, was right at the time, really. What is the top item on your bucket list? Things to do before you die, Jack. What, what would you want to do before you uh, leave this mortal coil? Well, there's a million paintings I need to do, so I probably need to live to about 150 or 200 <laughs> to actually you know, get anywhere near finishing them all and getting them done. But there's two things, there's two places in particular that have, have been eaten away at me for a long time, and I, I, I would like to go there. And um, one of those is Colgate's Castle which is the prisoner of war camp from the Second World War, where British prisoners were held by the special British, the most dangerous, most difficult prisoners, or most prominent prisoners were held by the Germans during the Second World War. That's Colditz Castle, which is near Leipzig yep. in Germany. I've not been there. I'd love to go there and paint a picture and go and be where those guys were. Because when I was a kid, I had a fascination for it. There was a TV series on in the 70s, and you can get it on YouTube now, actually, called Colditz. It used to be on a Sunday evening before we used to go to school on a Monday and I used to watch that. We're talking like 1973, 72, 3, 4 So I was engrossed in that. So I've always wanted to go to Colditz Castle. That's one thing. And the other thing was when I first became a professional career, it was 1982. And um, the Falklands War had just started. And in fact, on the first day of my, as a professional career, my world was shattered by our team manager who was secretary um, and manager was Tony Brown, um, ex Gloucestershire captain, and he was he was the coach, or he was the manager of the team. And he, he, he had a piece of paper with him, and he, he, he read this piece of paper out, and it said, all those under the age of 18, and I was about, uh, under 19, age of 19, and I was about 17 or 18, he, he, said, he said, you now need to go and report to the, the army barracks down in Gloucester Road, which is just down the road, 
because you've all been signed up to go, you're going to be signed up to go to the Falcons, and my chin hit the floor, and I thought, oh my God, this is my greatest, my proudest day, I'm going to be a professional now, I'm going to have to go and fight the Argus, you know what I mean, it's like, <laughs> I may never get, get another game, so that always sticks in my mind, but the, uh, my fascinating, long story short, I'm trying to, my fascination for the uh, for military history uh, was the Falk, one of the major things was the Falklands War, so I'm fascinated by that. In particular, the Battle of the Goose Green, and I always remember that morning getting up and um, watching the news, and you could see after the Battle of Goose Green that there's smoke in the gorse and there's, they're laying bodies out, and it's like and, and um, Colonel X Jones won the Victoria Cross at the same time. So that I'd always wanted to go back to a place called they call the Gorse Gully which is by Darwin Hill, which is next to Goose, uh, to Goose Green, where that battle was fought, and I'd just like to see the lie of the land, really, and uh, not relive the situation and, the, and the, the, the tragedy of it. I just wanted to I just wanted to go to that spot. I always wanted to go to that spot and sit there quietly and probably paint a picture and um, just be in that place where those guys were at that time because that sort of etched on my mind from 1982, so I, I need to go there. You've led us nicely on to the uh, the next question, which is about your painting. And I've heard you say that you, you didn't really do art at school. Is it, what was the moment you realised you sat down and you got your pencils out or whatever and you thought, oh, I, can, I can actually do this okay? Well, it, it happened at Worcester, the new, new road Worcester in 1987. That's, that was the moment I said, right, I'm going to become a painter. I'd always been interested in it. I mean, I was too busy at school playing trigger to worry about art lessons and things like that. But your great painters like Rembrandt and Constable and Whistler, uh, John Singer Sargent, those types of people, they, they sort of fascinated me. And it always fascinated me is how they actually ended up with the end result and how they did it. So we, we spent a couple of days sat in the pavilion at Worcester because, you know, unfortunately, as people know, Worcester, two drops of rain in the ground, flooded suddenly there. And um, I was just bored stiff. The fact that I'd lost all my money playing cards has probably got nothing to do with it, but I I was, <laughs> I got bored of playing cards and watching TV and... Uh, formed out the change room and just and went in and said, oh, I'm going to arm, but if Rembrandt can do it, why can't I? And I uh, went into the town in Worcester, bought a little sketch by some pencils, and started sketching up and, up and down the River Seven at the back of the ground there. And I've still got the very first sketch I, I ever attempted. It's, it's called a uh, man under a tree reading the newspaper. And I did it from about 50 yards away because I didn't want to sort of like let anybody see what I was doing. Um, I've still, it's about two inches by two inches square, that, that sketch. I've still got it. That's my... One of my, along with a hat, that's one of my most prized possessions. And um, and then throughout that season, I sort of sketched at the cricket bit, you know, grounds when it was raining and portraits of my teammates and uh, took them into a, a Bristol gallery that winter. And I'd just been picked to play for England on my first tour, the 1987 Shackle Run and Mike Catting finger wagging tour, which everybody knows about, yeah. where all hell uh, broke loose and there was a big argument um, up at Pfizer about and. Uh, Government's got involved. Maggie Thatcher got involved. Ronald Reagan. It all kicked off. And I knew I was on that tour as the replacement of Bruce French. And French and I were, were roommates on that trip. So he played most of the games. I only played two days cricket because I was only reserve. So I spent most of that trip sketching. And um, before that tour, I took these sketches into a Bristol gallery to be framed, just to put them on a, up on the walls at home, just as sort of keepsakes and souvenirs. And the gallery and said. If you you go to uh, Pakistan and do some sketching, come back with a load of sketches next summer. We'll we'll have an exhibition. So in '88, first game of the season with Gloucestershire, we were playing Sussex at the time actually, and uh, we got rained off at the start as well. If I remember rightly, and one or two of the uh, Sussex lads came down, where the Welsh brothers and we went down the exhibition. So we had this exhibition and went went down there the first day, and it sold out within two days. So I think that was the moment I thought, mm, you know, I'm onto something here, and. Uh, 
you know, I'll keep going and uh, and see where it can it, it will take me. And a couple of years later, I mean, I drew a lot to start with because everybody said you've got to draw to learn to before you learn to paint. So I, I used to learn draw to start with. But after a couple of years of that, I got a bit bored with just doing black and white pencil sketches and started uh, with the colours and, and started with the oil paints and started painting. And so a couple of years later, I had an exhibition of 30 original oil paintings. They sold out of the same gallery as well. And that was the hub of my whole success is just snowball from there. And um, thanks to the people that buy my pictures and uh, want to put them on their walls at home, which is the greatest compliment an artist can ever get, really. You know, that that's the biggest compliment. You know, I've, I owe it to them that I can... Now it's my full-time occupation and my job is painting pictures. So... It's all down to people that find my work. I mean, I'd still do it, but I'd have to have another job. So I wouldn't do it as much, and I wouldn't engross myself in it. As I said earlier, I, can, I need to live from 150 to 200 to actually finally try and get to the bottom of the subject, because every day is like it's like when I was playing cricket. Every day is different, and every day is an adventure. So I'm just very lucky, thanks to all those people, really. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening to the Cricket Badger podcast. The listeners are going up every single week through COVID-19. Hopefully, we're giving you a little bit of entertainment to take you away from the troubles in the world. Thank you very much for listening. Loads of great guests planned for the next few weeks as well. So stay tuned to Cricket Badger podcast. Like, subscribe. Thank you so much for your support of the Cricket Badger podcast. You've basically become world-class in two different areas completely haven't you you know test match cricketer painter that is is absolutely fantastic i mean i've seen a lot of your pictures and they're 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 brilliant i can't draw i can't paint I, I i i look at i look at what you do and i look at the, the the portraits you do and i always think it's in the eyes and i always struggle to get the eyes right because the eyes are the kind yeah. of the, the windows to the soul they illuminate they're the, the crit- face yeah, don't they're they? crucial, crucial but yeah. yeah yeah and then i look at your your, your um, paintings and, and pictures of uh, cricket grounds and a lot of the stadiums to get it right you need to, it's, there's a lot of geometry isn't there and i think i'd be too obsessed with getting a ruler out and making sure i got the stands right rather than actually capturing the essence of of, of what I was trying to get, the flavour of the ground rather than the, the geometry of the ground. Yeah, I mean, the beauty of, beauty of art, James, is everybody paints different. So you, you'd have to paint. I always, I, even my commissions, I paint them for myself. I'm always painting for myself and what I think is right. You know, you, you would paint, you, you would do things and you would work it out because it's just a case of trying to just, I, I learned by making mistakes, basically, which is probably a lesser for anything in life. You, you, if you make mistakes, you, you know, you, if you give it, it's like, like when we go back to Ian Botham, you know, you just give it a go, you know. You never know if you can win. You just go for it. Um, and painting was the same thing. There was a there was a, a more contemporary artist that was a hero of mine. Suddenly passed away a couple of years ago, but he was a big hero on a painted front. It was David Shepherd who painted wildlife, painted trains. Painted, he was a landscape painter, I tell you. But he was famous for his elephants and his wildlife. And he was a guy who learned from nothing and he learned from scratch. So I thought if guys like that can do it, then I, all I need to do is teach myself how to do it. And I've just taught myself by learning, by mis- making the mistakes. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I've got to admit, I wanted to, a few occasions I was going to give up, but every so often a square inch somewhere, I, I would, I would, it would come out right. You know, nine out of 10 canvases would go in the bin. But I just sort of stuck with it and being a bit stubborn in personality, I sort of thought, well, no, I'm not going to give up. And even today, you know, I'm, I'm you're learning every day something new. You're learning new colors or a new way of doing something. So, I'm sure you'd be able to learn to do it. You just need to give it the time and the dedication you and you paint pictures, but you've got to paint for yourself. That's the important thing. Even, and the great thing is if other people want to buy them, that's a magic bonus. My, my grandma on my dad's side painted. She was, I think she was, I mean, she sold a lot of paintings. Um, my dad's well, very good at art as well, but it's never, it's not been yeah. handed down. 
No, but it's in the blood there, so you've got to, you've got to winkle it out. You get James, you've got to give it a go. Well, when this lockdown is on, there's no excuse for not giving it a chance. You never know, do you? You just never know. You could follow in their footsteps. But, yeah, it's a great thing. It can drive you nuts, mine. It just It's a bit like cricket. It can be very frustrating and drive you crazy. Um, you know, and things don't work out as you expect. And, and I'm ne- I've never... I'm trying to paint the perfect picture every, every time. But I've never got there. And um, I hope I don't get there because then where do you go from there? So... But you're still trying to paint the best picture you can. So and I'll be doing it the rest of my life. So um, one of your questions is coming up later, about 10 years' time. Um, but it's something I, I've got to do it every day now, otherwise I go nuts. You, you've painted um, portraits of some very, very famous people, you know, right right at the top end of the tree. And is, is, is there real pressure with that? Um, because you, yeah. you, you've also got to try and get it right. And have you, have you ever sat there and you're painting somebody really famous and really, you know, really influential and thought, flipping, okay, I'm getting this all wrong? Well, do you know what? It's funny because people say, do you, often say to me, do you miss the buzz from when you play cricket? You know, that excitement of, 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 of not knowing how the day is going to go. Um, you've got to win or lose. You've got to get your job right. You've got to, like, you know, you, you, there's no guarantees going into You drive into the ground. There's no guarantees. And there's a, there's, a, there's a buzz about that. There's an excitement about that. It's like an adventure. And the only time I've ever really experienced that is when I paint some this portrait because I might only get uh, a small space of time with them. Like for Eric Clapton, for instance, when I did Eric Clapton, and originally I was, I was due to have three hours, because I normally need two to three hours. I ended up, because of the way things worked out and he was a bit busy in a way, and I ended up with 45 minutes. So I had 45 minutes, and that's after waiting two years, by the way, to actually nail him down, because I spoke to him at a charity game and we were chatting about it, so he asked me to do it. And um, but to actually get him to sit down somewhere and do it and then sit still for a couple of hours. It took two years for that to actually happen. So then I'm down, down to 45 minutes now, and I'm like, God, blimey, I've got to get it right. So you just time for a, a, an eye, you get, in there, you get a nose, because like you said, the eyes are important. You get a bit of chin, you get a bit of this, you get a bit of that. And in 45 minutes, I've got the essence of him um, somehow. I don't know how I just did it. But there's a buzz to that, and there's a pressure to that. It's really similar like when you go out and play cricket. You know, there's no there's no room for error. You know, you've got to get it right. If you there and then it's got to be right that ball. I got a kick out of doing that, and um, it's funny because afterwards I didn't. Oh, they didn't have a lot on the canvas. I went at the. Uh, I went to see him in his place in Chelsea, and we were at the King's Road uh, just afterwards, grabbing a cup of tea. Myself and my agent was with me. We sat in this uh, rest uh, little cup of coffee bar, put the put the camera stand in the corner, and uh, Dudley Sutton, who was an actor who was famous for things like Lovejoy, he was tinkering Lovejoy, and the people who saw it, people saw his face, I know he was, that's Dudley Sutton, the actor, was sat in the corner. I didn't see him there, actually. He was behind us reading his morning newspaper, and the newspaper dropped down. He looked over at the painting, and he, and he turned to me and says, oh, I've seen, I see you've been to see Eric then, and then went back behind his uh, newspaper. So I knew at that moment in time that I'd actually captured it. So that, that was a, a magical moment. But doing the portraits is a, if you get it slightly wrong, you know, it looks like somebody else, so it, it's difficult. And I, I, and I had to paint um, Prince Philip and uh, the Duke of Kent. I was asked to paint a picture of the 10 field marshals of the British Army because they were disbanding the, the regiment. This is about 15 years ago. And uh, so I had to go to St. James's to paint the Duke of Kent, which was great because he fell asleep halfway through, which is great. So once I got his eyes, that was like a couple of hours, no problem. That was, that was, that was good. But the Duke of Edinburgh, um, I just had 45 minutes with him at the palace. And he came in on the dot and he left on the dot and he's got a regimented strict type of person, although he loves his sport and it was great to chat about cricket. 
and all the other sports and everything. So it, it was a magic experience, but it, there's, there's a pressure there because, you know, you've got to get it right. So uh, I managed to capture enough uh, in the 45 minutes to get what I needed. But that's as close to getting the, the buzz from playing. I think painting some of these portraits uh, as, I, I, as I do, you know, from playing these days as I do from playing those days. So it's great fun. I love the odd portrait. It's a good challenge. If you had access to a time machine, you can go forwards or backwards, Jack. Where would you like to drive it to to see what it was like in that in that year? Well, I wouldn't hesitate. I would go back to the steam sheds in the 1960s. I wouldn't. I, I make no bones about it. I'm a, I'm a train. Uh, I love my trains. I always have done. I steam trains in particular. I just love the atmosphere of them because Rembrandt would I, Rembrandt would would come with me because he would love the atmospheres in the dark and the light and the smoke and the smells and. And uh, if I could go back, and there's one thing I regret a little bit is I was not, I don't regret it, but if, if I could change one thing in terms of the period that I lived, I would like to go back to the, I'm not complaining the period I've lived, by the way, I think I've, played, I've lived in, a, in one of the best periods, but I'd go back to the 1960s and I'd go there with um, my old friend David Shepherd and uh, I'd, get, I'd go painting with him because he, he used to paint and he caught the last, last days of steam on canvas and I would love to go back to the steam sheds. And um, and paints the steam locomotives because you would never get me out of there. I would be there. I'd just stay there forever. Magic. <laughs> if you could change one thing about yourself, what would you change? I'd be taller. I think I need to be taller. I mean, I'm five foot eight and a quarter, which is half an inch. Sorry, it's a quarter of an inch short of being allowed. Or in the old days, of being allowed to be a policeman. Not that I wanted to be a policeman, but if I was taller, I would have been a goalkeeper possibly. Um, but the other thing is, I was found it would, give, it would have given me more reach when I was diving. People like Alex Stewart who looked a bit taller. Okay, you're slightly more longer away from the ground, which on the on the Tuppers and Vaughan show the other week, when I was chatting with Ben Folks about it, and Ben was Ben was saying, yeah, you're you're further from the ground, which is true, but you've got that longer reach. And there's the guy Jennings used to keep wicket for South Africa when they were they were banished during apartheid. Ray Jennings and um, whose lad is Keaton Jennings. He he had a long reach, so I think I would. I would in the nutshell, I'd like to be taller because I'd have a longer reach. Nice little segue into plugging the uh, the next podcast. Because Keaton Jennings is the uh, the podcast after you, Jack. You mentioned this question already, and I think I know the answer because you basically already told me that you want to carry on painting for the next two hundred years. But what will you be doing in ten years' time? Exactly the same, I guess. Yeah, painting. I'll be painting in ten years' time as long as I'm fit and well enough to do it. My eyes are okay. Um, that's the that's the bottom line. You need the health to be able to do anything. But painting will be it's my obsession now. As cricket used to be on my obsession, painting is my obsession now. So if I don't paint for a day, I start getting a bit ratty and a bit uh, irritable. So I, I, in ten years' time, you can you can name whatever year you like as long as I'm the eyes are working okay and I've got my right arm. I should be painting. If you've been picking these questions, Jack Russell, this is number 20. So we're nearly at the end of, uh, of our chat today and I've really enjoyed it. Brilliant guest. If you've been picking these questions and you've been asking yourself these Cricket Badger 20 questions, what would you have asked yourself to get a great and exclusive answer? I probably would have asked myself what sort of philosophy I've got in life, I think, and what drives drives me. So if I was saying to myself, I would say, what philosophy, what's your philosophy on life? What drives you? And I'd probably, do you want me to answer it? Because I can answer it. I would, I would like to hear the answer, yeah. Yeah, I could answer it. I mean, my, I heard Michael Caine say once, you've got to make the day count. When it gets to the evening, start thinking about making tomorrow count. And I think that probably sums it up because I hate wasting time. And, and time's so precious. 
And I think that's probably one of the reasons I started becoming a painter because I was sat there twiddling my thumbs and wasting my life away and I've got to be doing something productive. So it, it's sort of like every day I've got to do something important or something that makes a difference or something that's productive or something that will be left behind or just something some sort of significance, no matter how small it is. So I try and make every day count and that, that's that's what drives me really in terms of getting up early every morning and uh, trying to use as many hours as I can to do what I need to do and um, not waste any time. I can't stand wasting time. I think that's just a waste. Jack Russell, they say don't meet your heroes, and I've not quite met you because we're in lockdown, but uh, it's been an absolute... I was excited about you coming on the Cricket Budget Podcast, and you've not let me down. You've been a brilliant guest. I've loved watching you down the years. I'm glad you weren't that little bit taller, and we lost you to football, because I've loved watching <laughs> you wicket keep. And uh, thank you very, very much for your time on the Cricket Budget Podcast today. James, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed talking to you. It's been fantastic, and uh, best wishes to everyone. I hope you all stay safe. It's that Badger style. Thank you very, very much indeed to Jack Russell. He was an absolute privilege to talk to. I really enjoyed recording that Cricket Badger podcast as much as I've done recording any of them, really. I think he was a a terrific guest. And as I said at the end there, yeah, meeting your heroes. I know it's lockdown and I didn't meet him, but talking to him, I was really excited about getting Jack on the Cricket Badger podcast and he certainly did not let me down. I really enjoyed his answers to the questions and I'm sure you out there enjoyed listening to the two parts of the Cricket Badger podcast with one of the greats of the game, Mr. Jack Russell. Thank you again to him for being a guest on the show this week. Thanks, as always, to tvsportsblog.com for their support of the Cricket Badger podcast. Give them a follow on Twitter as well, at tvsportsblog. And tune in next time, which won't be too far away. If you've been following the Cricket Badger podcast over the last few weeks, you'll know during lockdown I've been churning them out to give myself something to do during this period in our lives. I did put on Twitter a little bit of a timetable of when the podcasts were coming out, and that has changed a little bit. Dion Kreish gave me a brilliant hour of his time the other day, and the file corrupted on my laptop. I had to send him a, a text message and say, Dion, I'm really sorry, mate. There's a little bit of a clip I've taken out of it before it corrupted. And that, you'll hear that one in the next podcast. But basically, our interview has just disappeared. And a measure of the man, Dion Kreish, is that he just said, that's fine. I really enjoyed the hour. Let's do it again. So uh, we will be bringing Dion Kreish's interview back from the dead and trying to rehash that a little bit in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you to him for his understanding. But ones that we do have in the can that have not been corrupted include Phil Salt. Certainly, if the World T20 goes ahead in October, a candidate for England's squad. Alan Richardson, a real favourite of many people's on the county scene, gave me a chat sitting in his garden to escape the children. Keaton Jennings, the England and Lancashire batsman, he comes on too. And if you uh, haven't discovered already the Pinch Hitter magazine, it's an online edition created by the guys at Wisden. But it's a, a donate what you can magazine. And you'll see in the third edition, the current one, that uh, I, I've written up a little bit of my interview with Keaton Jennings about his uh, England experiences. Go along and have a read of that. Read the rest of the copy that's in there because it's it's great stuff. And donate what you can because that magazine's been set up by the guys at Wisdom to support people like myself. There's plenty of freelance sports writers out there that have basically just seen their calendars for this summer disappear. And uh, are obviously, like everybody... Uh, a little bit concerned about their immediate futures. So it's a chance for us to get a few quid. Yeah, sports writers are no more important or less important
important than anybody else. But if you do love your sport and you like to get that coverage, it is those sports writers that tend to bring that to you. They're going to come out of the other end of the COVID-19 situation and hopefully we get sport back at some stage and you want to enjoy it again. Initiatives like the Pinch Hitter magazine make it possible for some of uh, the guys to come through covid and continue their work afterwards. So plenty in the pipeline. If you're enjoying the Cricket Badger podcast, please like, subscribe, leave a nice comment on whatever platform that you're listening to it on. And rest assured, there's plenty more around the corner. I know because I've been banging them out quite regularly, some people are listening to ones that are about a fortnight ago. Some of you are up to date. Some of you are kind of maybe just picking and choosing which ones you're listening to. However you're doing it, that's fine by me as long as you're listening and enjoying them. And thank you very much for your kind comments. I've received so many on Facebook and Twitter saying that you enjoyed the Gary Balance chat or you enjoyed XYZ that we've had over the last uh, few weeks. And it's always nice to get those. It's uh, very pleasant to know that what you're doing is being listened to. The stats are going up every single week. So that's a good sign that kind of following on Twitter and on Facebook in particular has gone through the roof, especially from people on the subcontinent who are now following the Cricket Badger podcast. I did an interview with an Indian newspaper the other day and the female journalist said, uh, oh, before I start, the guys in the office have said, we all listen to the Cricket Badger podcast. So when you get James on the phone, tell him that we say hello, which I thought was really, really sweet. It's just uh, quite pleasant to get some positive feedback on the stuff you do, because I love doing this. I really do. I've, I've kind of Cricket Badger podcast is my baby. Generally speaking, in, in normal situations, I've worked for all kinds of different people. Cricket Badger podcast has always been a bit of a labour of love. It's been something I've really enjoyed doing. And I'm glad that you're enjoying listening. I guess that last couple of minutes of Ram me saying thank you for listening really and uh, really is appreciated keep doing that stay tuned loads to come i've been james this has been the cricket badger podcast and i'll see you next time sports social podcast network with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.